We are continuing our series on living with the Spirit of God. There's lots of ministries of the Spirit that we've begun to talk about and will continue to talk about in the time that we still have left. As we were talking through the topics that we thought would be profitable for us to focus on, one of the, one of the doctrines of the Holy Spirit that rose to the surface is a doctrine known as illumination. The doctrine of illumination. You may be familiar with the doctrine of illumination. You may not. Our prayer is that in our time tonight, we can be better helped to biblically understand what is taking place and how the Spirit interacts with our reading of God's Word. The Holy Spirit is active in your study, in your listening, in your reading of Scripture. He's actively involved in it. But much like this morning, the nuances of that involvement matter. And for us to pray rightly, for us to think rightly, and for us to seek illumination rightly, it's important that we understand biblically what this doctrine is. Due to some additional studies that I've been working on, I've personally been studying the doctrine of illumination pretty aggressively for the past three and a half years. And one of the things that I've discovered is that the traditional vernacular that we use around this doctrine has created a lot of confusion. The doctrine of illumination is one of those doctrines that, uh, whether you're familiar with it or not, it's, it's one of those doctrines that's just kind of communicated out of habit um, the same way, and it's been communicated that way for a long time, and it's actually prone to significant confusion about what this doctrine actually consists of. Traditionally, the doctrine of illumination is understood as the Spirit's work to help us to understand Scripture. That's how it's traditionally defined. Tonight, I want to help us see maybe just a little bit of a different understanding of the doctrine of illumination that I've personally come to in my study of this doctrine. And as we look to Scripture together, I hope that you'll find the same to be true. We're going to title this tonight, Enlightened to Obey. Enlightened to Obey, the Holy Spirit's ministry of illumination. I believe that the emphasis of the doctrine of illumination is that in illumination, the Holy Spirit is working to bring you to obedience to Scripture. But that emphasis is a little bit different than how the doctrine has historically been understood. And so we're going to hash that out together tonight. Again, it's going to feel very topical. We're going to be bouncing all over the place as we look at various texts on the Spirit's work of illumination. I want to present to you, before we dive in this morning, what many scholars have labeled as a consensus definition of the doctrine of illumination. This is uh, written by a man named Kevin Zuber who wrote a dissertation on this topic and worked to kind of accumulate all sorts of historical input on the doctrine of illumination and concluded that this is a consensus definition. He says, illumination is a work of the Holy Spirit whereby the hearer or reader of the word of God, either a believer or an unbeliever, is given understanding of the information contained in it and brought to appropriate its meaning. So uh, Kevin Zuber, I think, helpfully just surveyed how this doctrine has historically been treated, and he walked away with this conclusion, that this is kind of the consensus definition of what illumination actually is. There's several implications behind that definition that we're going to dive into this evening. One of those implications is that apart from the Spirit's work, you cannot understand Scripture. Apart from the Spirit's work, you will understand Scripture wrongly. Another implication behind that statement is that unbelievers certainly cannot understand the Scriptures. It won't make sense to them. 
They won't click. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand the information contained in God's word in illumination, and therefore unbelievers cannot make sense of God's word. Now, there are many throughout history that have affirmed these things. We're going to look at just a few uh, historical figures that you'll recognize that have spoken directly on this issue. Martin Luther said this, nobody who has not the spirit of God sees a jot of what is in the scriptures. The spirit is needed for the understanding of all scripture and every part of scripture. You can see that definition that we just put on the screen is uh, hashed out in what Martin Luther says here. If you don't have the spirit of God in you, you're not going to see any of it. It's not going to make sense. It's not going to click. John Calvin wrote this. The human intellect, in typical Calvin terminology, is stupid and senseless till he opens their mind to understand the scriptures. Calvin regularly used this kind of terminology. I apologize for the aggressiveness. It was John Calvin that wrote that, not me. We weren't allowed to say those words in my house growing up. The human intellect is, is lacking the intelligence that it needs to rightly interpret the scriptures, says John Calvin. John Owen says this, apart from illumination, the clearest revelations of divine supernatural things will appear as wrapped up in darkness and obscurity. In other words, the word of God is not clear until the spirit makes it clear. Otherwise, it's, it's muddy, it's darkened, and it's just, it's confusing. Unbelievers will look at the, the clearest things in Scripture, and it'll just be dark, it'll just be obscure. And this pattern continues today. Many theologians describe this ministry of the Spirit as his work to help us understand and interpret the Scriptures rightly. I want to evaluate this, uh, by and large, traditional understanding of the doctrine of illumination tonight. As we dive into this topic, we're going to be bouncing all over God's Word and seeing what exactly it has to say about the Spirit's work in this doctrine. But as I said, um, I've spent a considerable amount of time studying this doctrine over the past few years. And as I encountered the traditional understanding of this doctrine, there were, there were several things that bothered me. Several things that bothered me about it. The first that I encountered was that unbelievers often have thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. Unbelievers often have a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. I've seen this personally. I presume that you have as well. If you grew up in the church, then you likely know people who learned all of the truths of Scripture that they could. They could recite it. They could explain it. They could even talk about what it looks like to apply biblical truth, but they never fully embraced it. I presume that you've seen this. It's very common in Bible churches where families have children that grow up and they know biblical truth. They can recite it and rehearse it and talk about it, and yet they have not submitted to it. That's a reality that we need to keep in mind as we speak of the doctrine of illumination. As a pastor who primarily works with students, I see students regularly who are well-versed in biblical truth who haven't responded to it in repentance. I've even seen unbelieving students in our ministry that would openly say, I don't, I don't, I haven't submitted to Christ. I'm not a believer. I've seen individuals who would claim to be unbelievers who know their Bibles far better than believers. I've seen that to be true. So that was one of the things that bothered me about how this doctrine is often spoken of, is that there is a reality that believers can have, unbelievers rather, can have a very thorough knowledge of biblical truth. 
Certainly not all unbelievers have a thorough knowledge of biblical truth, but it's possible. There's another thing that bothered me about how this doctrine is typically conceived, and that is that mature believers who have the Spirit of God within them often disagree about Scripture. Mature believers often disagree about God's Word. If the Holy Spirit works in our lives to help us understand the right interpretation of Scripture, why is it that there are mature and godly believers who have devoted their lives to understanding God's Word, who certainly have the Spirit of God indwelling them, who disagree on certain topics? So, like, who, who is the Spirit enlightening? The Baptists or the Presbyterians? That's a tough question. If the Spirit of God is at work in the life of a believer to help you to understand and interpret Scripture, then how exactly does this reality, how can we make sense of this reality in lives, in our lives? There are mature believers who disagree. So it bothered me to think that someone could go their whole life studying the Scriptures, requesting the Spirit's illumination, see God's Word come to life in their lives, and yet one of them is, is wrong. The Spirit isn't teaching one of them in the way that he's teaching the other. There's another thing that bothered me about this doctrine. That's the presence of apostate preachers or teachers or pastors. There are spiritual leaders who lead and teach and serve for decades who one day turn their back on the faith. These leaders may have preached accurately for years explained God's word, helped people to grow, and then one day turn away. In doing so, they show that they were never actually believers. How then could those who did not have the spirit of God within them so helpfully and powerfully and articulately explain biblical truth in such a way that people are immensely benefiting from their ministry? if they never had the Spirit of God inside of them. I believe that if someone turns away from the faith, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything that they ever said over the course of their ministry was factually wrong because they didn't have the Spirit of God within them. We can often speak with a lack of biblical clarity when we just fall into some of the traditional understanding of the doctrine of illumination and say with a blanket statement that unbelievers cannot make any sense of God's Word. That they can't understand it. So those were, those were problems and things that I wanted to reconcile as I encountered this doctrine and began to study God's word and have done so over the course of the past several years to see whether or not those problems are actually re- legitimate in accordance with what scripture teaches. And I want to walk you through briefly that process tonight. As I do, we're going to look at some tenets of the work of the Spirit's work of illumination. It's kind of some building blocks as we build to to what I believe Scripture teaches, the essence of this ministry of the Spirit is. Tenets of illumination. The first is this. God's Word is clear. God's Word is clear. The clarity of Scripture is um, another doctrine known as the perspicuity of Scripture that is implied on every page of your Bible. 
The fact that you have a Bible in front of you, I think implies in God's choice of how he chose to reveal himself that your Bible is clear. God has spoken clearly and man is expected to obey what God has commanded. God's word is intelligible. It can be understood. It's not written in such a way that when you come to God's word and you read it, it's as if you're reading some form of a foreign language. You can read it. You can understand it. It is able to be understood. God's word is clear. Now, I think that this is implied on every page of your Bible. I want to show you specifically a place where this is said in Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's important that we understand that when God communicated his word, he communicated clearly in a way that can be understood. It's not inaccessible. It's not unintelligible. It's clear. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Look at verses 11 through 14. Commenting on the commands that precede these verses, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. This commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven and get it for us and make us hear it so that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it so that we may observe it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. In those words, God's word is described as communication that is accessible. He says, this, this is not so far above you that you can't understand that. that. That is God's message to those who are receiving this command. There can be a tendency among people that, that struggle with obedience, which is all of us, there can be a tendency of us to, to say, I didn't understand. And God says, no, this is not too far above you. You can grasp this. You can understand this. I have spoken clearly. When he says this is not too difficult for you, he is not saying in that verse, it's not too difficult to obey. He's saying it's not too difficult for you to wrap your mind around what is being communicated here. It's clear. It's accessible. He specifically points out that I have made it accessible so that you may observe it. It can be in your mind so that you know what to obey. As soon as we talk about the clarity of Scripture, there's all sorts of questions that pop up because the reality is some Scripture is hard to understand. Yes? You've experienced this. There are texts that make you scratch your head and say, I don't really know what that's saying. And it's important to to go through the fact that, that that doesn't undermine the clarity of Scripture. Even Peter describes Paul's letters as hard to understand. But hard to understand doesn't mean unclear. God's Word is accessible. God's Word is communicated in such a way that it should be understood. Said another way, none of us will have any right to say on the last day that God could have communicated better. He did it perfectly. He did it clearly. And he did it in such a way that we can understand. It's the first building block. It's the first tenet of the Spirit's work of illumination. The fact that 
God's word is clear, that it's perspicuous, that it can be understood. That leads to a second tenet. Man's problem is acceptance, not comprehension of the biblical message. Man's problem is acceptance, not comprehension of the biblical message. Now, before we even dive into this, I want to qualify that statement just a bit. There are many people who comprehend the biblical message wrongly. That is, that is very much a reality. You've encountered these people. There are many people who, right, who wrongly understand biblical truth. What we're speaking of tonight is not the possibility of someone misunderstanding biblical truth. What we're speaking of tonight is whether or not that thing is necessarily true of every individual. Is every unbeliever pre-wired that they cannot make sense of the content of revelation that is, that is contained in your Bible? Believe that scripture teaches that man's problem is in accepting biblical truth, not comprehending what it means. Now, this is true of both unbelievers and believers. Let's speak first about the unbeliever. The unbeliever's problem is not that he cannot make sense of the biblical message. Believe if you open to John 3.16 and place it in front of an unbeliever, I think he can tell you what that verse is saying. He can see the grammar. He can see the words. He can piece them together into a coherent statement of summary of that verse. His problem isn't that he can't understand it. His problem is that he doesn't buy it. He doesn't believe it. He understands what it's saying. That's exactly the problem. He understands exactly what it's saying, and he sees it as wrong. He thinks that it's foolishness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2 talk about this, that, that the natural man sees the wisdom of God, and he just says, that's foolish. It's foolish. That stems from an understanding of what God's word is actually saying. It is contrary to the wisdom of man. But that doesn't necessitate that they can't make sense of what it's saying. In fact, it demands that they can. They get it. And because it's the wisdom of God, they reject it as foolishness. They don't accept it. Let me give you an example of it. Turn over to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. This is the story of the rich young ruler. As we read through this, I want to ask the question, does the rich young ruler understand what Jesus is saying? What is his problem? What is it that the Spirit must overcome? Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. Many of you are familiar with this story. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him. And asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. And he said to him, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. 
Jesus delivers a message to this rich young ruler, and we're told that his response to Jesus' words was that he was saddened. He was dismayed. Why? Is it because he couldn't make sense of Jesus' message to him? No. He was saddened, we're told, in verse 22, because he owned much property. He knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He knew exactly what Jesus was calling him to do. His problem wasn't that Jesus' words didn't make sense to him. His problem was that he rejected it. His problem was that his his sinful heart was bent against the words of Jesus. He understood exactly what Jesus said, and he was unwilling to submit to it. It wasn't his intellectual inability to understand the words. It was that his sinful heart was bent against submission to Christ's clear commands. Unbelievers can make sense of biblical truth. Understand that to be true. And how you speak to unbelievers and how you present the gospel to unbelievers. Understand that they can make sense of biblical truth. But their problem, their fundamental problem is that their will is bent against it. They reject it as foolishness. The believer's problem is similar but different. The believer, I think as believers, we come to Scripture, and we don't come to Scripture like unbelievers who would categorically reject it as foolishness. I hope that you don't open your Bible and make that assumption. We come to Scripture believing it to be true. So the believer's problem is different, but it's along these same lines. It's still a problem of acceptance, not comprehension. The believer believes Scripture to be true, where we need the illumination of the Spirit, is not in embracing the truthfulness of the gospel. That's what the unbeliever needs. We need illumination in embracing the ramifications of Scripture upon our lives. In other words, as you interact with Scripture, God's Word will confront you. It will expose where you think wrongly. It will point out where where we've thought and lived wrongly. It shows us sin. It shows us where we must change. Even Even believers can resist the implications of such statements in our lives. We can be cold to that. We cannot want to be corrected by God's word. But just like the unbeliever, our problem is in embracing the implications of Scripture, not understanding its proper interpretation. Again, let me show this to you. James chapter 1, verse 22. You're welcome to turn there. I'm just going to read it now. Many of you know this verse, James 1, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. James sees a clear difference between those who hear the word and those who embrace it. Those who, who hear it preached or maybe even read it and those who do it. There doesn't seem to be a middle ground. He assumes that those who hear can understand it because it's clear. But he knows that you can understand it and not obey it. I think we all know that to be true in our lives. You can understand what the implications of a, of a text, maybe conviction that you felt in a sermon or something along these lines. You know that, that you can understand what that means and not obey it. That's what the Spirit's illumination is involved with in the life of the believer. It's overcoming that weakness, that that inability. Man's problem is acceptance, not comprehension of the biblical message. 
in student ministry, we often talk about the difference between appreciating truth and applying truth. It's important that we all know that you can understand what what a, a Bible verse is saying. You can even have appreciation for that and not apply it. You can be a hearer and not a doer. Have your guard up for that reality in each one of our lives and pray that the Holy Spirit, by His illumination, would help you to identify and overcome that. God's Word is clear. Man's problem is acceptance, not comprehension of the biblical message. A third tenet, and this is really the culmination that the other two were leading, were leading to in illumination. The Spirit causes us to embrace and apply biblical truth. In illumination, the Spirit causes us to embrace and apply biblical truth. Many of you, as we've been talking through this doctrine, have various passages that are running through your mind. One of the most commonly cited verses in reference to the doctrine of illumination is found in Psalm 119, verse 18. I'm going to read that now, and we're going to talk through that verse for a few minutes because this is often cited in support of the fact that we can't make sense of Scripture apart from God's Word. Psalm 119, verse 18. The psalmist writes, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Again, generally that verse is cited in support of the fact that we can only see God's law when he enables us to do so. The problem with that interpretation is that if you read through the entirety of Psalm 119, it's clear that the psalmist knows God's law and that he knows it well. He is painfully aware of all of the places that he has misstepped in accordance with God's law. He knows the law. He understands it. What then is the psalmist requesting in this verse? It's not that he's completely ignorant of the contents of the law. The problem behind this verse isn't that he doesn't see or understand the law. Look again at the terminology of this verse. His problem is that he doesn't view the law as wonderful. That's his problem. He doesn't view the law as the wonderful truth that it is. Look again, Psalm 119 verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Said another way, the psalmist is saying, open my eyes so that I can see your law as the wonderful truth that it is. I think we all know this to be true. That there are times when we are cold to God's word. There are times when we don't see it as the wonderful and beautiful message and truth that it is. Psalmist says, open my eyes so that I see it for what it really is. Jonathan Edwards, who's, I think, more articulate on the doctrine of illumination than anyone, he looks to this verse and he says, the psalmist is praying that God would help us to see the excellency of his word, the beauty of it, the wonder of it. Behind this request is the confession that we don't always see God's God's word as wonderful and beautiful truth. We can become cold to the amazing nature of God's word. I presume you felt this at some point in your life if you've been a Christian for very long. We're reading scripture feels like a chore. 
where it feels dead. The answer to this request in Psalm 119 verse 18 is the Spirit's work of illumination. It's what makes you love God's Word. It's it's what makes you run to it, to see it as the wonderful and beautiful truth that it is. And illumination, the Spirit causes us to love biblical truth, to embrace biblical truth, to apply biblical truth that's rightly understood. Let me show this to you in another place. We're going to turn back to the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, this is, off, this is also a passage that is often cited in the context of uh, the doctrine of illumination. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This text is speaking of an unbeliever. I think Psalm 119 is speaking of a believer. This text is speaking of an unbeliever. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now some would look at this verse and they would say, unbelievers don't see it. They can't see the gospel. They can't understand it. Again, I think if we look closely at this verse, Paul is not saying that unbelievers can't make any sense of the message. He's saying that they have been veiled, blinded from seeing biblical truth as the light that it is. They don't recognize it for what it is. It is the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what it is. It's the light of the glory of God. Unbelievers look at it and they don't see that. Doesn't mean that they can't make sense of the message. It means they don't recognize it for what it actually is. They misevaluate it. They're blinded to recognizing it for what it really is. Paul's saying that when the Holy Spirit illumines, he helps them to recognize Scripture for what it actually is the light of the gospel of the glory of God. One more. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I want to show you the act of illumination. I think we catch a glimpse of it in Acts chapter 16. In a real life conversion. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. We read about the first convert in, in, in Europe, a, a woman named Lydia. Who's wonderfully converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. We read this. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. I believe that's the essence of the Spirit's work of illumination in an unbeliever. She was listening. Paul was speaking. She was paying attention. Imagine she was she was taking notes. She was observing. She was tracking. God's involvement comes when there is a response that is required from the message. We're told that God opens her heart to respond to the message that was preached and the message that was understood. Paul preached the message. Lydia paid attention to the message. And God opened her heart to embrace the gospel. 
It's the Holy Spirit that enables that response. It's the Holy Spirit's work of illumination that takes someone who recognizes the gospel as foolishness to seeing it as the wisdom of God. That is a miraculous event, and none of us can force it. None of us can force any other person to respond to the gospel in that way. You can teach God's word as clearly as you can imagine, but only the Holy Spirit can bring someone to humble themselves and to submit to that truth and receive it in their lives. In illumination, the Spirit causes us to embrace and to apply biblical truth. So what do we do with that? If that's the doctrine of illumination, like, who cares? Why does this matter? What do we do with the doctrine of illumination? I'll give you a few points of application that I think stem from a right understanding of the doctrine of illumination. What to do with the Spirit's work of illumination? Number one, ask for it. Ask for it. This is an often overlooked prayer that should be regularly in the life of every believer. Ask for the Spirit's illumination. This pattern is seen in Scripture regularly. We just saw Psalm 19, Psalm 119, verse 18, where the psalmist is saying, Open my eyes to see the wonderful things of your law. Help me to see it for the wonderful truth that it is. I need your help. He requested it. We need to follow that example. In Ephesians chapter 1, Pastor Rick preached on this not too long ago. In Ephesians chapter 1, we see Paul praying that prayer on the, ha- on the behalf of the Ephesians. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1, I'm praying that God would open the eyes of your heart. He prays that they would have a yearning for biblical truth, that they would, that they would want it. Again, that, that's something that only the Spirit can produce. Someone that, that yearns and desires biblical truth, who recognizes it for, for, for what it is, sees the value of it, sees it as the wisdom of God. Paul says, I'm praying that God gives you that spirit that earnestly desires biblical truth. Paul prays that for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter one. We should follow that example. We should ask for the spirit's work of illumination. As you request the spirit's work of illumination in your life, focus on your response to scripture. The essence of the request of illumination can take many forms, but it would, it would follow along the lines of requests like, make me humble. Make me humble to be submitted to your word, to see your word as authoritative in my life, to see your word as the wonderful truth that it is. Make me teachable. Show me where I can change and give me the desire to do it. Understand that if the Spirit's work of illumination is a real ministry, and Scripture makes it clear that it is, if that is a real ministry, this is something we should be asking. As you approach God's Word, request the work of His Spirit to bring it to life in you. Ask that. Pray for that. Try to find time. Try to find time before a Sunday morning worship service when you will be receiving biblical truth to to ask God by his spirit to bring what you hear to life within you. How many sermons have we sat through where we we may have sat through a sermon, but but what was spoken didn't actually strike us. The prayer for illumination is asking God to perform that work in our lives. Ask it. 
I want to be clear, the Holy Spirit can illumine you without you asking for it. That happens. Okay? I don't believe that, that every unbeliever that's, that, that, that comes to Christ precedes that event with like a prayer that the Holy Spirit would do. He, he can do that. He can do that. But I think Scripture teaches us that we should ask for these things that we desire, knowing that, that God will grant those things to us if they align with His will. And, and I assure you, I assure you, you receiving Scripture in humble submission aligns with God's will. As you seek to see a prayer for illumination answered, be careful. Be careful not to place false hope in mere intellectual knowledge of the Scriptures. Understanding what was communicated in a sermon understanding the meaning of a, of, of a Bible verse, of a text, isn't necessarily confirmation that the Spirit of God has moved you along. Again, I believe unbelievers can come to an understanding of what God's Word means. I've seen that to be the case. Don't place false hope in mere intellectual knowledge. Set your sights on receiving biblical truth in personal application. Ask for it. Ask for it. Daily, as you approach the word, ask the spirit to bring it to life in you. As you approach the preaching of the word, ask the spirit to bring it to life in you that you would receive it in application and submission. Second, eliminate what stands in the way. Eliminate what stands in the way. important that we ask the question, why does the, un, why does the believer, rather, need to be illuminated by the Holy Spirit? And the answer to that is because sin makes us cold to biblical truth. Sin makes us cold to biblical truth. When there is sin in our lives, it's kind of a vicious cycle that can happen in our lives. When there is unconfessed sin in our lives, the effect of that is that it makes us unsensitive to more sin that's in our life. The reason that the, the, the believer needs illumination is because sin causes us to not see God's word for what it is. It causes us to be cold. I want you to turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Specifically, look at verse 21. This is right before the verse that we cited earlier that says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. James chapter 1 verse 21. As we read through this verse, I want to ask the question, what is it that stands in the way of receiving biblical truth and application? What is it that gets in the way? James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. What is it that stands in the way of receiving God's word? It's pride. It's sin. James instructs to remove all filthiness so that you can in humility receive the word of God into your life. The reason that believers need the Spirit's illumination is because sin blinds us to how Scripture hits us. Sin blinds us to, to rightly valuing the Word of God as we approach it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
Paul speaking to the church at Corinth says, says, I can't speak to you even as if you're believers because you're still fleshly. For for the Corinthians, the presence of sin, specifically sin that was attacking the unity of the the church in in Corinth, sin in their lives was was causing them not to value Paul's words. They, They were rejecting it. And so he calls them to confess sin, to set it aside so that they can receive the word. Eliminate what stands in the way. Spend time as you approach God's word regularly in confession. Evaluate yourself. Ask, is there anything in my life that would stand in the way of God's word hitting me? Is there anything that would cause me to to devalue or even to to twist what is clearly revealed in in these scriptures? Spend time in confession knowing that sin stands in the way of how we receive God's word. Now, I want to say again, if you don't do that, the spirit can't overcome it. He can. I've, I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen in my own life. He can overcome that even when we don't go through that process. You can have a life filled with sin and, and the Holy Spirit can work to bring conviction and to show you and, and to bring you to a point of obedience and confession. That can happen. But it doesn't negate the fact that Scripture calls us to respond in this way in light of the effect of sin in our lives as we approach Scripture. So as we study the doctrine of illumination, I think one of the walkaway points is that we recognize that because sin blinds us, we need to be quick to eliminate what stands in the way of biblical truth. A third, use Scripture. Use Scripture. Use Scripture in parenting. Use scripture in evangelism. Use scripture in counseling. Use scripture regularly. Parents, train your children to know biblical truth. They can know it. It is not too far above them. Sometimes we can, we can kind of theologize ourselves into trouble here where we think like, well, they're, they're not really going to understand it and it's, it's complex and it's too. Use scripture. Train your children up in biblical truth. And pray, pray that one day that the Holy Spirit would bring them to respond to what is in their minds. Use scripture in evangelism. Don't shy away from biblical truth as as you seek to speak to your friends and acquaintances. Don't shy away from using scripture because it's not going to make any sense to them. As you instruct one another, employ scripture. Like we said this morning, the Holy Spirit uses his word. But he doesn't use it unless it's in the mind. He doesn't use it unless it's in the mind. Jonathan Edwards says it this way. It is not according to the nature of the human soul to love an object which is entirely unknown. You can't love something you don't know. He continues, nothing can come at the heart but through the door of the understanding. It is impossible that anyone should see the truth 
or the excellency of any doctrine of the gospel who knows not what that doctrine is. What Jonathan Edwards is saying in those words is that we need to make sure we're presenting biblical truth. We need to make sure that it's in the mind so that God can bring it to life. We're seeking a a heart response to biblical truth. Edward says we need to place biblical truth in the mind so that the heart can respond to it. And that heart response is only enabled by the miracle of the Spirit's illumination. And say one more, and there's many more things that could be said, but we'll stop here. Number four, work hard at understanding God's word. I do think that's a walk away from a right understanding of the doctrine of illumination. God's word is clear. And the Spirit is the one who brings it to life in you. But it doesn't negate the fact that you need to work hard at understanding God's word. When you're sitting in sermons, when you're hearing Pastor Rick preach on a Sunday morning, pay attention, work at it, work hard, focus. The Spirit brings conviction as we rightly conceive of the truth that is proclaimed. Study God's word. If you're reading and not understanding Illumination will not take place. Again, Edward's Edward's words are helpful here. We cannot see the excellency of a doctrine if that doctrine is first not conceived in our mind. So work hard at understanding God's word. It's clear. He's communicated effectively. It's available. It's accessible. Know the scriptures and pray Pray that the Spirit would work to bring them to life in you every day. Some of you have questions. What about Luke 24? What about John 14 through 16, the upper room discourse? What about 1 John 2, 27? What about 2 Timothy 2, 7? What about Philippians chapter 3, verse 15? I have thoughts but I don't have time. So I'll say what Pastor Myrell said last week. If you have questions, want to talk about this more, happy to grab coffee, happy to sit down and, and talk biblically about what it is that is contained more in this doctrine of illumination. I hope that you see these, these essential points and that you pursue these aggressively. I hope that you're helped in how you pray for illumination. These are not, this category of theology is not something that's simply esoteric and unhelpful for daily life. In my study of this doctrine, my prayers as I approach God's word have radically changed. My approach of, of confession as I approach time in God's word has radically changed. Even my, my understanding of how scripture works in my life has been adjusted as I've studied scripture on this doctrine. So I hope this has been helpful for you. We're going to stop there. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your spirit who is at work and who cares about every nuance of our life. Father, help us to live by the spirit. Help us to walk by the spirit. And Father, in light of what we've said tonight, I ask that you would continue to be working in each of our lives to bring your word to life in us. By your spirit, change us into the image of Christ. Make us aware of how we can grow 
Give us the motivation that we need to, to submit to your word. Give us teachable spirits. Use all of that to make us more like your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.